Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 180 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a data breach affecting residents in Fife in Scotland. We have news of a data breach at Dublin City Council in Ireland. And then we travel to Portugal, where there's a really interesting data breach which has occurred at the Lisbon Mayor's Office, where it's a fairly deliberate data breach in that the Mayor's Office has been sharing details with foreign embassies. But listen to the full article to get the full story. We then travel to South Africa, where ABSA has notified its customers of a data breach. And then we then travel to Washington, D.C. in the USA, where Toons Automotive is at a data breach. And then remaining in the USA, we go to Chicago, where D.R. Donnelly has had a data breach. We then have an article looking at the reality of a data breach and that a data breach can affect your business and cost your business far more than just money. And we then have an article of interest to UK higher education establishments who have Chinese students amongst the students at their establishment. We then have an article which we've titled, Can a Cookie Really Be That Expensive? And if you listen to the article, all will become clear. And then finally this week, we look at the German courts who are dealing with a vast number of non-material damages claims under GDPR at the moment and are setting some clear precedents, which it looks likely that other courts across Europe and indeed here in the UK will adopt in terms of what is an acceptable level of non-material damage for a breach of GDPR. So there's always a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We do love receiving your feedback, so if you have any feedback for us, do please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback which we receive, but unfortunately due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece individually. If you're enjoying the GDPR Weekly Show, then please go to the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting and vote for us in this year's Podcasting for Business Awards 2022. We really appreciate your support. Every vote is important, so please go and vote for the GDPR Weekly Show at thepodcastboutique.com forward slash voting. Entries close at midnight on the 31st of January 2022. We begin this week in Scotland with news that a data breach involving Fife Council has affected 2,880 Fife householders. Paul McGowan from Lodgesley found that a company the local authority pays to manage claims, such as those from pothole damage to cars, had suffered a ransomware attack. Gallagher Bassett, an American-based international claims outsourcing business, discovered the breach in September 2020, but five council weren't notified until June 2021. It later transpired that the personal details of 2,885 residents were compromised. The breach came to light after Mr McGowan submitted a Freedom of Information request. After making a claim for vet bills when his dog was cut in his local park, his details were sent to Gallagher Bassett for processing. Mr McGowan said, I was told the council did not need permission to send my data, which is then stored in Gallagher's parent company system in the US, due to a legal obligation on behalf of the council. I was told this was for Gallagher Bassett to fight the claims on behalf of the council. Claimants are not informed of this when they put their claim in. Concerned that his data had been passed to a third-party company in the US, he found lawsuits have been raised in America against the company in relation to the data breach in 2020. Mr McGowan, an IT cybersecurity consultant, was astonished to discover it had taken nine months for the council to be informed. 
Initially, Gallagher had claimed only two people were affected and the information was used by five councils to raise their disclosure to the Information Commissioner's Office, he explained. The ICO confirmed on July the 16th that no further action would be required and five councils closed the issue on July the 26th. Emails showed the council was later told that 2,880 claimants may have had their data breached. Concerned about a lack of vendor risk management and data protection at the council, he complained to the local authority and to the ICO. The council's legal services manager, June Barry, said the council have commercial insurance in respect of legal liability for third-party claims. She said their insurers appointed Gallagher Bassett to handle third-party claims made against the council, and when made aware of a potential breach, they had called the ICO. Following the investigation, the ICO decided that regulatory action was not needed, as the council had taken due diligence in sourcing a reputable data processor and acted in a reasonable attempt to secure compliance with data protection legislation. The council was not required to notify any claimants of a data breach, she said. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Ireland now, and Dublin City Council have launched an investigation into potential GDPR breach after family photos and other materials appeared on devices issued by the local authority. The issue was raised by former Lord Mayor Michael McDonough on Thursday's protocol committee meeting. A source at the meeting told Dublin Live that Councillor Donisha's iPad suddenly displayed family photos he didn't recognise. The potential breach is not limited to the family photos, as one source said, there were also pictures of what appeared to be political activists at work. Officials from the Chief Executive's Office called councillors after the meeting to inquire about the issue and recalled some councillors' iPads, sources confirmed. The problem is understood to be linked to older devices and not the newer models. A number of councillors raised concerns about the security of confidential consultant information and whether the problem has spread to council staff equipment as well. Independent councillor Mank Flynn was deeply, deeply shocked the council's communications equipment was not safe or secure. He said, it just begs belief that an organisation as relevant and as powerful in the centre stage as Dublin City Council, bearing in mind the kind of information that's floating around, hasn't got its IT secure. This is not the first time this has actually happened. I'll be taking precautions in relation to Dublin City Council's communication equipment. He added, it begs belief that private photographs of individuals, no matter who they are, family photographs and indeed many people in activities could end up on the iPads of other councillors for no reason whatsoever. This was only acted on by Dublin City Council when councillors brought it to their attention. Councillor Flynn called on DCC Chief Executive Owen Keegan to make a statement on the matter. A Dublin City Council spokeswoman did not answer any queries about the extent of the potential breach, but she did confirm that the relevant regulatory body, the DPC, has been informed. If we get any update on this from Dublin City Council, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you're enjoying the GDPR Weekly Show, then please go to the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting and vote for us in this year's Podcasting for Business Awards 2022. We really appreciate your support. Every vote is important, so please go and vote for the GDPR Weekly Show at the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting. Entries close at midnight on the 31st of January 2022. To Lisbon in Portugal now, and a new GDPR fine out of Portugal is noteworthy not so much for its size as for what happened in regard to the offence. The Mayor's Office of Lisbon, the national capital and the largest city in Portugal, has been handed a $1.4 million fine by the country's Data Protection Commission for providing the personal data of activists and organisers to foreign diplomats representing the countries these activists were protesting about. The practice has been a matter of city policy since at least 2012, when it was installed by a previous mayor's administration. 
It was supposed to be curtailed in 2018 when the GDPR took effect. However, the complaint demonstrates that it continued into 2021. Among other incidents, the personal contact information of supporters of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was shared with that country's authorities. Though it's been the policy in the mayor's office for nearly a decade, the issue became a scandal in Portugal in mid-2021 when authorities admitted to sharing information about protesters with Russian officials. Dissidents participating in a rally for Alexei Navalny in January 2021 had their personal information that's required to be given to the public security police by law in Portugal turned over to Russian diplomatic sources. The information included names, national identification numbers, home addresses and telephone numbers. In some cases, this impacted Russian and Portuguese dual citizens who could find themselves in danger of targets or surveillance upon returning to Russia after being identified in this way. Russia has banned Navalny's opposition movement and has labelled its supporters as extremists. Portuguese police implemented the policy during the COVID-19 crisis, getting protesters to agree to it as a means of conducting contact tracing should an outbreak of COVID-19 be tracked back to an event. The fact that this personal data was being shared with foreign officials was not discovered until one of the protest organisers received an email from Lisbon City Hall that contained a copy of the form with the information being submitted to the Russian diplomats. The mayor's office is being assessed a 1.4 million US dollar fine by the country's data protection authority as the policy breaches multiple terms of GDPR. In addition to the Navalny protest, the investigation found 52 incidents of Lisbon authorities sharing personal data in this way with various foreign agents during the period of applicable GDPR rules. Since 2012, it's understood there have been 225 incidents of this type. The Lisbon Mayor's Office had applied to have the fine reduced due to financial stress caused by COVID-19 pandemic and appealed it as work for other entities but was rejected in this case due to the seriousness of the charges. The Data Privacy Commission said that pandemic factors had already been accounted for in the fine total, which was initially planned to be much higher due to the nature of the violations, potentially up to $23 million US dollars for each incident. Former Mayor Francisco Medina's office had attempted to paint the incident as a bureaucratic error. Medina was voted out of office during the late 2021 election, in no small part due to this scandal. Other countries that apparently received the personal data of organisations and activists, in addition to Russia, include China, Cuba, Israel, Venezuela and Angola. Much of this came from protests that were held in front of the national embassies of these countries, but for other instances it's unclear what the security justification might have been. The report found that Lisbon's policy of sharing information with these countries dates back roughly a decade. Even before the enhanced collection of information from participants during COVID 19, the Mayor's Office would reportedly share the information from protest permit applications with these countries. One organiser, Alexandra Taria, said the personal data on her permit had been given over to the Chinese Embassy in 2019 due to holding a rally in support of Tibet's 11th Panchen Lama. Taria said the rally was not held anywhere near the Chinese Embassy. The revelation has scared political activists across Portugal who often have family members in the nations that their protests target. The list of nations that personal data was shared with includes those with regimes that have long-standing track records of repressing dissent by restricting human rights. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To South Africa now, and when ABSA announced the data leak in November 2020, it said that only a small portion of its South African-based customers were affected. However, it has emerged that more ABSA customers are subject to the data leak than the bank initially said. The bank sent emails to some customers on Monday this week, informing them that they'd been victims of a data breach. 
Following ABS's announcement of an isolated data leak in November 2020 and a resultant independent forensic investigation, we have now identified more compromised data and are contacting impacted customers directly, the email said. The correspondence has been sent 15 months after the data breach happened. It stated identity information, contact details and transactional account numbers of affected clients had been compromised. The bank said it had taken steps to protect impacted customers and it had secured all devices of known implicated parties. Apps have not responded to our request for comment, but in a statement, the bank said that although it informed customers more than a year later, it regrets the precautions and heightened monitoring of customer accounts after the leak was discovered. Independent investigations are ongoing and we continue to reach out to affected customers as the information comes to light, the bank said. In the breach in November 2020, ABSA said one of its employees had unlawfully made selected customer data available to external parties. At the time, the bank said the leak affected a small proportion of its South African-based customers. But in April 2021, the bank said the leak might have affected more customers than it initially thought. Emails sent to clients then read exactly as those which were sent out this week on Monday. The bank said it had identified more compromised data stemming from the November 2020 data breach. In the statement on Monday, the bank said the employee who unlawfully sold customers' data to external parties had been dismissed and criminal proceedings had been instituted against them. If we get any further update on this from ABSA, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you're enjoying the GDPR Weekly Show, then please go to the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting and vote for us in this year's Podcasting for Business Awards 2022. We really appreciate your support. Every vote is important, so please go and vote for the GDPR Weekly Show at thepodcastboutique.com forward slash voting. Entries close at midnight on the 31st of January 2022. To Washington DC in the USA now, and Coons Automotive Group has identified a data breach that may have compromised customers' personal information. The company discovered unusual activity on certain computer systems beginning on June the 5th, 2021. An investigation discovered an unauthorised actor had gained access to a portion of the network and encrypted network files. According to Coons, after a lengthy review completed in December 2021, it was able to confirm the system's breach contained customer names and financial account information. The company was able to identify the customers impacted. As a result, Coons has contacted those customers and is offering 12 months of complimentary access to credit monitoring and identity restoration services. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Chicago now, and towards the end of last year, Fortune 500 company R.R. Donnelly, one of the world's largest commercial printers, announced that it had suffered a network intrusion following a ransomware attack. Although details about the breach are still slim, the attorneys at Console and Associates PC are actively investigating the breach to determine if the company bore any responsibility. If it turns out that R.R. Donnelly failed to implement an adequate data security system or the breach was otherwise linked to the negligence of the company, it may be liable through a data breach class action lawsuit. The breach, which occurred on December 27, 2021, led to R.R. Donnelly shutting down company service to identify the scope of the problem. According to a recent news report, it appears that R.R. Donnelly might have been targeted due to the fact that the company is in the process of soliciting bids for a merger or acquisition. In fact, according to an FBI news release from November 2021, 
the FBI assesses ransomware actors are very likely using significant financial events such as mergers and acquisitions to target and leverage victim companies of ransomware infections. Prior to an attack, ransomware actors research publicly available information such as a victim's stock valuation as well as material non-public information. If victims do not pay a ransom quickly, ransomware actors will threaten to disclose the information publicly, causing potential investor backlash. The idea is that cyber criminals identify companies at a critical point in their takeover journey and exploit the fact that the company will want to avoid blowing up the deal based on bad PR from a data breach. Thus, in the cyber criminals' minds, the company is much more likely to pay the ransom. However, the FBI explains it does not encourage paying a ransom to criminal actors because doing so emboldens adversaries to target additional organisations, encourages other criminal actors to engage in distribution of ransomware and may or may not fund illicit activities. Paying the ransom also does not guarantee that the victim's files will be recovered. Additionally, the FBI encourages companies that are going through a critical event such as a merger or acquisition to take the following steps to ensure the safety of their networks and the consumer data they hold. Back up all critical data. Ensure copies of critical data are uploaded to the cloud or downloaded to an external hard drive. Secure backups to ensure data is not accessible from the system where the original data resides. Install and readily update antivirus or anti-malware software on all your hosts. Only use secure networks and avoid using public Wi-Fi networks. Use two-factor authentication for user login credentials. Use authenticator apps rather than email because cyber criminals may be in control of employee email accounts. Do not click on unsolicited attachments or links in any emails and implement the least possible privileges for file directory and network share permissions. While it's too early to tell if R.R. Donnelly took the necessary precautions to protect consumer data from this type of attack, the breach raises serious concerns about the company's data security measures in place leading up to the breach. If we get any update from R.R. Donnelly, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you're enjoying the GDPR Weekly Show, then please go to the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting and vote for us in this year's Podcasting for Business Awards 2022. We really appreciate your support. Every vote is important, so please go and vote for the GPR Weekly Show at the podcastboutique.com forward slash voting. Entries close at midnight on the 31st of January 2022. We all know that data breaches can be expensive, but for financial institutions, it can not just be the GDPR implications, it can also be other fines that they get fined because the data breach happened. And of course, just rectifying the loss of customer data and rebuilding the network damage after an attack can also be costly. Until recently, the penalties of enforcement actions against financial institutions worldwide have been on the rise, just as fraud attempts and incursions targeting banks, credit unions, investment houses and the like have also been rising. In the past couple of years, JP Morgan, Chase & Company, Capital One and Morgan Stanley have all been levied multi-million dollar penalties as well as class action lawsuit judgments related to security mismanagement that led to breaches or failure to give appropriate notification to customers about compromises. Last month, the US Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, fined Chase $125 million due to employees' insecure practices, namely using WhatsApp and personal email accounts to transact official business, thus not adhering to SEC record-keeping requirements. Additionally, under a separate enforcement action, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission also fined the bank $75 million for the same behaviour going back for the last six years. In August 2020, Capital One Financial Corporation was levied an $80 million penalty by the Office of the Controller of the Currency, for failing to spot and manage cyber risk, resulting in a huge data breach the previous year. More recently, in late December 2021, 
Capital One announced it would pay $190 million to settle a class action lawsuit in response to a massive hack on the bank's cloud network on Amazon Web Services that led to the theft of personal data from 100 million customers in 2019. Morgan Stanley have also agreed to pay a £60 million settlement in a lawsuit that alleged the White Shoe Wall Street Bank had opened up the personal data of more than 15 million customers to exposure by not correctly retiring old computer equipment. Morgan Stanley agreed to the settlement and has publicly acknowledged that it has made data security practice upgrades, but the bank still maintains it was not in the wrong. But of course, as we always say, it's not just the financial implications, it's a reputational implication. After all, one could argue that a financial firm's greatest asset is trust, especially as traditional banks and financial institutions are increasingly feeling competitive pressure from non-banks and financial technology and payment upstarts. Despite the fact that these penalties can be expensive and damning, the good news is that these fines, which have been on the rise for a number of years now, apparently seem to have dropped in 2021. Worldwide regulatory action and penalties relating to not complying with anti-money laundering and data privacy fell last year to little more than half of what they were in 2020 dropping from an all-time high of $10.6 billion in 2020 to $5.4 billion in 2021. However, we do also have to take the impact of COVID-19 into account when we're considering that change, and so it might be more realistic to wait until we have a comparison with the fines to be levied, assuming there will be some, in 2022. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you are one of the universities in the UK which have a number of Chinese students, then you should be aware that from November last year, the Chinese equivalent of GDPR, what they call their Personal Information Protection Law, PIPL, came into effect. Now, PIPL, like GDPR, has extraterritorial scope. So that means that whilst those Chinese students are here in the UK studying at a UK educational establishment, their data is still protected under the rules of PIPL as well as GDPR. Specifically, higher educational institutions may be subject to PIPL if they process personal information of Chinese residents for the purposes of either providing products or services to individuals in China, which obviously would include advertising your university courses to individuals in China, analysing or assessing the behaviour of individuals in China, which you probably do because of course you probably carry out some assessments into your students, or thirdly, as provided in Article 3 of PIPL, for other purposes to be specified by laws and regulations. In the result, any higher education institution that, for example, obtains admissions applications from Chinese citizens while the individual is located in China, conducts recruitment in China, responds to requests for information from individuals located in China, conducts research using data from Chinese citizens that's not anonymized, or works with Chinese academic institutional organizations, may potentially be implicated by PIPL. The good news is, of course, that GDPR and PIPL are very similar. So they both talk about personal information, which broadly under PIPL relates to any identifiable information for an identifiable natural person. And again, just like GDPR, within PIPL, there are sensitive information categories that require additional safeguards, which may include information on medical, financial or location information. When processing these special categories of information under PIPL, then higher educational institutions are likely to be required to obtain the individual's consent. One crucial difference with PIPL compared with GDPR is that PIPL does not support the legitimate interest basis for holding data. 
So it's much more likely you'll need consent. You can't just keep a student's data under PIPL because it's in the legitimate interest of your institution because PIPL doesn't understand the concept of legitimate interest. Again, just like GDPR, PAIPL requires consent to be clearly given, freely given, demonstrated by a clear action of the individual and must be as easy to withdraw as it was to give. You should bear in mind that PIPL includes substantial fines for non-compliance. Failure to comply with the law could potentially result in steep fines of over 7 million US dollars or up to 5% of your organisation's annual revenue in the previous financial year. And again, like GDPR, PIPL provides the individual with the right to take action if you have a data breach. So there are two important things you need to do if you're an educational institution affected by this. The first is obviously making sure that your processes comply with PIPL. And the second is making sure that you update your privacy notice on your website to not only say that you are compliant with GDPR, but you're also compliant with PIPL. If you need any help with any of that, then please do get in touch with us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Those of you who follow us on LinkedIn might have seen that we've been running a survey into when companies last had GDPR training. And as part of that, we joined a discussion with a few of you about cookies and whether any companies had actually been fined for not following the cookie directive. In addition to Google and Facebook, who got fined 150 million euros and the euros respectively, which we've previously reported to you here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Well, we did a bit of digging and we found that there are some other fines related to cookies and GDPR too. In the aviation sector, Viewing Airlines, which is part of the same group as British Airways, paid a €30,000 fine for using an inadequate cookie policy on its website. In the media sector, fines have been imposed on newspapers, including one in France for €2,000 and one in Spain for €50,000 due to the use of non-essential cookies before the use consent. And in the retail industry, Carrefour France was fined 2.25 million euros for several breaches of data protection and legislation, including the illegal employment of cookies. So I think in answer to those who were questioning us whether anyone's ever been fined, other than really big companies, for cookie errors, the answer most definitely is yes. So if you're not complying with the EPC directive, now really is the time to get your house in order because the data protection authorities across Europe are starting to pay attention to it and are starting to levy penalties for those companies who don't comply. If you're enjoying the GDPR Weekly Show, then please go to thepodcastboutique.com forward slash voting and vote for us in this year's Podcasting for Business Awards 2022. We really appreciate your support. Every vote is important, so please go and vote for the GDPR Weekly Show at thepodcastboutique.com forward slash voting. Entries close at midnight on the 31st of January 2022. The German courts have been really active with dealing with claims for non-material damages. And there's been a wide range of judgments from those courts, but it has at least set some benchmarks for the sort of compensation that people can expect. Of course, what often happens in these cases is that lawyers will try and get groups of people together to make a class action rather than individual cases proceeding one by one. However, particularly in Germany, there's been some doubt cast on whether this can happen because the German court in Hanover 
has said that the plaintiff is not authorised to assert any claims on behalf of someone else in respect to Article 82, Paragraph 1 of GDPR on the basis of assigned rights. Insofar as claims for compensation for non-material damage are asserted by way of assignment by third parties, there is, due to a lack of transferability of this highly personal claim, no active legitimation. So in other words, what they're saying is, is that for non-material damages, you can't assign someone else to take that action for you. You have to take the action yourself. Now, this is only in Germany, of course, and that's only one court. But it's an interesting ruling and doubtless one that other courts will refer to. But the German courts in general have been very, very busy in terms of compensation. That said, multiple courts in Germany have refused to award damages even after a data breach with the arguments that either the claimant wasn't able to demonstrate a respective damage going beyond mere subjective discomfort without any objectively measurable impact and or that GDPR does not provide for punitive damages. Other courts tend to award non-material damages for formal non-compliance with GDPR such as delayed and incomplete response to data subject access requests. A Dusseldorf court decision awarded €500 per month for the first two months, €1,000 for each further month, and €500 for each missing category of information, providing the total didn't exceed more than €5,000. Similarly, courts in Germany have awarded between €500 and €1,500 for minor nuisance such as unsolicited marketing emails or simply an email going to the wrong person. In a recent decision, a court in Munich awarded €2,500 in non-material damages to the claimant who was affected by a data breach. If you look over all of the cases, then it's fair to say that in general, compensation for non-material damages is ranging from €100 to the low thousands of euros, and those higher figures only where there is some medical evidence of distress caused and not just, if you like, hearsay. One example, for example, was where somebody's credit reference report was leaked to the wrong person. And in that case, it was a judge that that had caused distress. And the person who suffered the distress was awarded damages of €1,000. And there have been some exceptions. For example, €5,000 was awarded for unauthorised publication of employee photos containing special categories of personal data in the form of skin colour. And it's worth remembering that in the UK it's been established that damages should not be awarded to individuals for the mere loss of control of their data if the loss of control does not result in material damage or mental distress. It remains to be seen whether the Central Court of the European Union will take a similar approach when deciding on Article 82 GDPR. We will watch to see whether other European countries follow the Germans' lead in the level of damages being awarded and, of course, also whether that transpires over here in the UK too. If someone has suffered a data breach through your organisation and they are seeking non-material damages and you would like our help in minimising that claim, then please do get in touch with us here at the GDPR Weekly Show using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.